Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. Sean is a 28-year-old marketing manager who comes in after he was diagnosed and treated for chlamydia at an urgent care facility. His symptoms have completely resolved, and he was told to get tested for reinfection in about three months, which is why he's here today. When you get into the details of his sexual history, Sean tells you he is not in any monogamous relationship and has had sex with both men and women, but is now predominantly having sex with men. He admits to frequently not using condoms. He started pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV about a year ago and gets tested every three months. He asks you if there is anything similar for chlamydia. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me this morning is Dr. Alan Ehrlich, Associate Professor of Family Medicine and Community Health at the UMass Chan Medical School and Executive Editor of Dynamed. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Sean, these are the patients that keep us up at night. Um, I'm glad he came in for follow-up. I'm glad he's curious. Where to begin? Let's start with the review of safe sexual behavior advice we might want to be counseling Sean on. Sure. The CDC and the USPSTF both have uh, guidance on this. They both recommend patient education and counseling on methods to avoid sexually transmitted infections. These should be appropriate to the patient's culture, sexual orientation, age, and developmental level, and conducted in a supportive and empathetic manner. Uh, Things to review, depending on the factors, include use of barrier methods, particularly condoms, uh, abstinence or reduction in the number of sexual partners. For women, it can include the use of cervical diaphragms, pre- and post-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, which Sean is already doing, and in general, problem-solving and goal-setting often involves uh, working with patients to consider the scenarios in which they're likely to have difficulty practicing uh, safe sex practices and trying to figure out uh, how they might get around that and establishing expectations for what they're going to try and do going forward. So in Sean's case, we would want to explore in more detail his lack of consistent condom use and, and figure out what are the barriers to that. Well, Sean, uh, as I said, is going to be uh, worrying me quite a bit, but I'm glad he's talking about using PrEP for HIV prevention. Can you tell us a quick bit, just remind us a bit about pre-exposure prophylaxis? Sure. Pre-exposure prophylaxis, which uh, is more commonly just called PrEP, uh, is a way of preventing HIV in patients at risk. And it consists of taking combination drugs that include emtricitabine and tenofovir uh, in one way or another. And there are different uh, formulations of tenofovir. And the brand names, depending upon which one you're using, that our readers might be familiar with are either Truvada or Discovi. And they come as a fixed combination product, one tablet taken daily, as used for adults or adolescents who are over at least 35 kilograms. Uh, the difference, the big difference between them is that the Discovi formulation can be used in those with renal impairment. Uh, 
There's also another medication called cabotegravir, which is given as an injection monthly for two months and then every two months thereafter, and again, indicated uh, in those who weigh at least 35 kilograms. Uh, PrEP should be made available to any patient who wants it, but uh, in particular, it's recommended for those who are at substantial risk for getting HIV, which would include people who inject drugs, people who uh, practice anal or vaginal sex in the past six months with a partner known to have HIV or their status is unknown, or they have more than two sex partners with unknown status and no consistent condom use. Also, if they've had a bacterially sexually transmitted infection in the past six months, which would include, for men who have sex with men, gonorrhea, chlamydia, or syphilis. And for men who have sex with women, uh, or women who have sex with men, it includes gonorrhea or syphilis. I guess chlamydia is less of a risk in those populations for reasons I'm not sure about. In any event, uh, these are the the prime groups. Uh, Also, uh, people who are using non-sterile injection practices, particularly transgender persons who may be sharing equipment, administering non-prescription gender-affirming hormones, or silicone silicone or fillers that might be used to alter their body shape. Anyone, So basically anyone with unsafe sex practices or unsafe needle uh, behaviors needs to consider using PrEP. I, I remember when it came, when it was FDA approved, people came marching in asking for it, and it really helped me feel better about using it. And then I started getting more aggressive with patients who were at risk but hadn't asked. So, so Sean had chlamydia. And he was treated, and now he's here for follow-up. Um, what can we do to prevent him from getting chlamydia again? So in addition to the safe sex practices we mentioned before, it turns out that for certain high-risk individuals, there are ways of preventing chlamydia. In fact, gonorrhea and syphilis as well. There was a recent randomized trial enrolled about 500 patients who were already using PrEP and had HIV or were living with someone with HIV. Uh, the trial participants were either men who had sex with men or transgender women, and all trial participants had a history of condomless anal or oral sex with a man in the previous 12 months. They also had to have a diagnosis of gonorrhea, chlamydia, or early syphilis again in the past 12 months. So they were randomized to taking 200 milligrams of a long-acting formulation of doxycycline that lasts about 24 hours, and ideally they would uh, use this within 24 hours but no later than 72 hours after condomless anogenital, vaginal, or oral sex. Also, no more than one dose was to be taken every 24 hours. So the participants were tested for STIs every three months, and the median follow-up was about nine months. The outcome was the percentage of these quarterly tests that were positive for either gonorrhea, chlamydia, or syphilis. The overall rates were about 9% in the doxycycline group, compared to about 20% in the usual care group. Looking at specific STIs, it's not surprising that doxycycline was much more effective against chlamydia and syphilis, with a relative risk of only about 0.12, while for gonorrhea, it was still effective, but the relative risk was only about 0.45. Okay, so that's great to know. You can give patients a prescription for long-acting doxycycline and just instruct them properly in how to use it if they practice unprotected uh, forms of intercourse. All right, Sean's here today. We're going to recheck him for chlamydia. Anything else we should do regarding Sean? So as we discussed before, 
he needs counseling on safe sex practices. He's obviously got a problem with it, so we need to try and help him. In addition, given his high-risk status, we should just discuss with him the pros and cons of post-exposure prophylaxis with doxycycline. This includes not only the GI adverse effects, but also your skin reactions from sun exposure and potentially causing more resistance to doxycycline from bacteria that cause sexually transmitted infections. And finally, we need to emphasize to him that although doxycycline can reduce the risk, it does not eliminate it. And particularly in the case of gonorrhea, that risk remains substantial. Thanks, Alan. This is really good information, and uh, I'm sure Sean will be better for having you as his provider. Thanks, Frank. Practice pointer. Consider doxycycline for post-exposure prophylaxis to prevent bacterial sexually transmitted infections in high-risk populations. Join us next time where we identify the optimal way to exercise to improve all-cause cardiovascular and cancer mortality. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.